Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game, Rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try hard to stick to reasonable languages for all ages, listeners should know that this is a podcast that may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., may bear resemblance to persons living or dead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. So, we are going to begin tonight with a bit of a special session. So, we're going to do a spotlight episode on one of the characters here in the investigating group, one Miss Mavochet. Uh, so when we last left her, uh, she was kind of cloistered away amongst some of the other investigators at her home, uh, having inspected some rather unsettling pieces of paper. Uh, so we'll raise the curtain with you at your desk, your working desk. You have several pieces of paper laid out. Your mind's still a little bit uh, manic, I guess. Frantic is a good word. It surges from one idea to the next. The other investigators, Doyle and the doctor, they've kind of pushed themselves to the back of your perceptions at this point. At one point, the doctor says that he's going to go back and he's going to check to make sure no one else has shown up at his office. Doyle says that he has to make a couple of inquiries about one of his cases. And the, the, their voices kind of push again into the background and eventually kind of slip away into the, into the ether. And you're left there with your desk light just kind of giving a bit of a illumination to these pages. And you're caught with this idea about this language, the language that appears on these pages. The words and the letters as they're written don't make any fundamental sense. And you get this burning desire to figure out what they mean. You're just not sure where to begin. And so what you do is you start diving into books on your shelves to ascertain what, where the language could have begun at and where things make sense. If there are, are pictograms or pictures or characters or uh, even kanji that might be something close to give you some sort of frame of reference. And you stew a bit there in your thoughts. And an idea comes to you kind of from within these pages. 
and that the hand that drew this, that wrote these, these words, these thoughts on this page, they must have come from some different perspective. They must have some enlightened perspective on life. And this leads you down a separate path, a path towards your associates in the Golden Dawn, people that speak often of enlightenment. And while you might have had questions before that you might be able to seek from Alan's books, maybe now that you have some sort of physical hard evidence, might be worth inquiring about. Maybe not with the order altogether, but maybe with a trusted source, at least someone who knew your father, someone you can trust. Well, um, I'll go through my father's address book and see there's anybody still around mm -hmm. that maybe he went overseas with or you thumb through the book a few times you come upon a couple of different names you're not you're not certain specifically if they're worthy enough of your time but you do get the idea that maybe they knew something at least something of your father's travels there's a traveling what sounds like historian and archivist and his name is James Pierce Dr. James Pierce And it looks like he did some time, at least from your father's uh, annotated notes here, that he may have had, maybe he had tenure here at the University of Chicago at some point. Okay. Or perhaps he mm, spent some time in study here at one of the university's many libraries. Well, what time is it now? Oh, I would say it's probably towards the afternoon. Okay. I will go to the university and um, inquire on where Dr. Pierce would be. Okay. You, which form of transportation do you think you'd take to get there? Um, I'd probably call Jimmy. Okay. Because I usually call him, and he doesn't talk about where I go and who I... I mean, as far as you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he probably does to his boss, but that usually doesn't yeah. pay me, no, never mind. You ring Jimmy. Uh, he's by in a matter of 15 to 20 minutes to pick you up. He doesn't ask a whole lot of questions. He's genial as always. And then he drops you off at the university. Okay. Um... The other thing that I meant to ask is, do I? How often do I pay Jimmy? Do I pay him every time, or do I pay him 
like once a month? Do I pay his boss? Uh, generally, you pay for the uh, services they're rendered, meaning his transportation services. You generally pay once a week or once a month. It all depends on kind of when Jimmy asks. There are times okay. where he's asked, hey, listen, I know you usually pay me on the 30th of this month, but, you know, I... I'm Liam. I'm trying to get you know this or whatever, and he's pretty flexible for the most part. He's a driver, so uh, he's going to come into and out of money right. on a pretty regular basis. Okay, that was just one of the questions I had from before. Sorry. No, that's okay. It's a good <clears throat> question. It further fleshes out his role. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and then I will go to administrations. Yeah. So. The idea here is that the, the campus is uh, in and around the Hyde Park area. And the University of Chicago is a lot unlike we know it today. It's actually what historians would term kind of in its infancy. It's only really been a university for maybe 30 or so years at this point. So there is some newness to it. It opened the early 1890s. And the, the campus is a reasonable size. It's affiliated with a few other campuses as well. The programs that they allow there are reasonable undergraduate liberal arts curriculum. So the idea there is that you're going to have access to some of the facilities, but finding Dr. Pierce is probably going to be a little bit of a hunting, which is a, admissions is a good start. Yeah. So the admissions building, you head in and speak with someone at the front office. And they tell you that while they have not personally seen Dr. Pierce, if he is there, uh, he's probably tucked away in, you know, a, a corner office. They chuckle. He's got a place just a, just a bit far beyond uh, the main campus building in one of the auxiliary stations near the library. Okay. It's a quiet place. Dr. Pierce doesn't like to be bothered. Okay. Sounds reasonable to me. Yeah. So... It's a Monday, though, so campus is, is a bit busy here in the afternoon. It looks like some of the uh, college students are still finishing up some of their coursework. There's people on the quad. It's a spring day, too, so the weekend might have been a little cold and a little rainy. And quite frankly, it's been a bit of a whirlwind for you. This is a, a otherwise relatively pleasant day. Passing through the quad, you see benches and you see, you know, stone buildings that have been put up and you finally get around to some of the auxiliary buildings and you start seeing a couple of the older buildings here some of the first buildings that were put up ivy's starting to trace the stonework and you realize that if he's in one of these auxiliary buildings then it's probable that not a whole lot of people know when he comes and goes because there's a couple different ways in and out of campus. And it kind of fits the type of person or type of people that your father would have been naturally attracted to in his studies. You know, the, the cloistered hermit. Well, I'm going to look in the building probably closest to the library. Because okay. he's probably going to want to be able to come and go from the library as much as he wants. The auxiliary building you first step into looks like it's got a fair amount of offices in it. Mostly... It looks like it's tenured professors. So people who generally teach directly at the school. Uh, most of these offices are, the doors are closed. 
Not to say that there aren't lights on in some of them, but they're all marked as far as who they are. So you pass by a good, say, six to eight without seeing anything close to something that would be familiar as far as his name goes. You get to the end of the first hallway, because it's a basically a big square. You enter the auxiliary building, and then there are a left or a right-hand choice, and then basically they corner at the end of those hallways, and you'd have either a left-hand turn or a right-hand turn, depending on what hallway you went down. So the circuit is not very difficult to walk. Mm-hmm. Um, you do see a couple people in the hallways, so younger kids, maybe they're... Uh, Working on some sort of associate program, but as far as this building, the one closest to the library, and you can see the library through the main windows, it's not but more than, I don't know, a uh, hundred feet away. There is no Dr. Pierce here. At least not that you see. All right. Well, then I'll uh, work on the next building. Okay. Uh, there's only three of them. So you, you hop over the next building, the which is kind of catty corner from this building. And in that building, you see probably a good four or five different offices which are dormant. They're empty. But then as you kind of round that second or third, probably the second corner, you've gone left once and then you go right. And you find at the far end, uh, amongst a collection of basically six or seven dormant offices, there's a single office near a back door that has a lone light on. And it says... Dr. James Pierce. I guess I'll uh, go to that door and lightly knock on it. You knock. You think you hear what sounds like music? Just lightly from playing inside? There's some sort of... I mean, you could hum a few bars of it if you really listen close. It's not... If you didn't know any better, it'd be... It's jazz music. It's very strange. You wouldn't expect that for a teacher at a college. It abruptly stops. You hear very careful footsteps. And then you see the silver knob of the door begin to slowly turn. And then eventually the door kind of creaks open. In the dim light that's provided by the office as a backdrop, you see a older man, probably in his mid-fifties, you think? He has a kind of a gray and white close-cut beard. Very stately. He has wire-rimmed glasses with very small circular lenses. Uh, he has a gray fedora hat on and kind of a relatively uh, reasonably cut conservative gray suit. He does, he's not wearing a tie currently, which only probably lends to the fact that he's uh, he's working. <clears throat> he coughs a bit. <clears throat> Excuse me, can I help you? Hi, um, I'm Maeve O'Shea. Yes? Um, you worked with my father? Mm, Neil. Mm-hmm. Yes. Come in. Come in. He opens the door a bit. You step in and nearly trip over some books. And then you kind of pirouette a bit and then find a place to stand. He closes the door. I apologize. The uh, the maid has had the past few several years off. 
he kind of steps a bit around you and navigates kind of a kind of a, a bit of a deer path towards uh, a desk. You hear a cat meow, and then to your left, up on a bookshelf, there's a very sleek, slender black feline with a pair of gold eyes that stare back at you. Uh, think nothing of Rupert. He's harmless. He kind of moves to... There are twin desks in this main room. His desk is against the far wall. There's one of the old metal and glass windows, the ones that when you pull the the metal, you can either push them out or put, or pull them in, depending upon how the window justifies itself. So the lower part can be pulled in, and then the upper part could be pushed out. You see that there's a uh, an ashtray and a pipe, like a regular smoking pipe on it, nearby the stone kind of windowsill that's by there. And he takes a few moments and moves, begins moving some books. So tell me, Miss O'Shea, you uh, come here for some information? There's a wealth of books around you. Um... Yes, uh, maybe something more specific to maybe the kind of things my father was looking for. Well, uh, when I last saw your father, uh, he was getting ready to board a plane. He spoke something of England. I've, I'm, I wish I, I could know more. Well, I have this poem or song, and I need to find out where this language originated from. Oh, language as well. I do happen to uh, be a bit of a study on languages. I've spent some time both uh, in the East and in the West. It's possible I could help you. Or at least show me the books that I need to look at. You have something I could look at then? He takes the piece of paper from you and then and it sits down to this. He's cleared you a spot kind of across the desk room so you have a place to sit. He takes the piece of paper in his hand and adjusts his glass a little bit. Where did you say you came across this? I didn't say where I came across it. He cocks an eyebrow at you, just ever so slightly. Mystery then. You can see his eyes dance back and forth along each line. He doesn't have any outward reaction to reading what he's reading. And I'm going to look at him and be like, Did you go to church with my father? Church? Is that what he called it? No, that's what I call it. To be polite around certain... Oh, the order is uh, nothing to be ashamed of. It is uh, secretive, but it is, if I, if I may speak out of school, it is uh, mostly a men's club for being part of a supposed high society. There's a little real work that happens there. You know that, right? Oh, of course. I mean, yeah, they are uh, much like the Masons, seeking enlightenment, thinking they can play about with their incense and rituals and 
It reminds me of a graduation ceremony here, pomp and circumstance and uh, gestures and words spoken in proper times. It's all a bit funny, if you ask me. So you're very scientific? Not at all. I have for some time been immersed in several different studies, not the least of which would be seemingly dead languages, strange occurrences. That book there to your left, he kind of points over your shoulder. You see a rather slim, slim tome. Uh, it's kind of a, a slim but brown tome. It's probably no more than, say, 150 pages. It details the story of a Spanish explorer that came to these shores uh, sometime in the 1700s in, near Roanoke. And it talks about some seemingly unbelievable things. And at first when I read the story, I thought it was pure sensationalism, just simply another story that someone might write for a, a, a pulp magazine, a, a, you know, some sort of uh, theatrical reasonings. But there were very few of those in those times. No one commits something like that to paper unless they're completely raving mad or they mean to tell somebody something. He reaches out and returns the paper to you. So you've come upon a bit of a, a mystery then. Well, there, that is kind of associated with strange occurrences happening now. Mm, really? Yeah. What type of strange occurrences? Um, women falling ill. Just randomly falling ill, or is there a, a pattern of events, or...? There is. Um, they seem to have been bitten by a person. Not they, an animal. Well, they say we are getting more liberal as the years go on. Perhaps biting is the next phase. But it seems to transfer something else. Transfer? What do you mean transfer? Well, these women become ill and they... They end up having, like, a parasite. It's not uncommon for parasites to transfer from one post to another. If there's blood-to-blood contact, there's some medical reasoning behind this, yes? Sure, usually parasites are about, you know, worms or the size of your blood cells or what have you. These are big. That's where the vague description associated. What do you mean by big? Um, probably about, you know, like three inches long. They look like slugs. And they also accompany like a half moon symbol. 
that boom symbol. Hmm. The slugs leave this symbol behind? We don't know. It looks like a scar mm. or a burn. And you believe this has something to do with your father being missing? Mm. Maybe. I don't know. Anything always can lead back to my father. Hmm. But I've been looking, and I'm finding similar stories and stuff in his books. Um, right now, I'm working with a doctor, and we're just trying to figure out where this is starting. Yes, I heard you say we. You know, your father was much more of a solitary investigator when he broke away from full-time dental practices to travel the world. Yeah. Well, I kind of stumbled into situation with the doctor. <laughs> you, you cut your teeth on these same books, right? Yeah. As I remember, at one of the church meetings, I last uh, saw your father at. He mentioned that uh, you were already very accomplished in uh, working out some of the more higher uh, forms of. Ritual magic, some of the uh, more esoteric arts had not yet passed to you yet. He was quite impressed. I'm very sorry to... Yeah. I've still been looking for him, but I've been at dead ends. And right now, this is affecting people that I have come in contact with. Places I work. You say that there are these three-inch slugs. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's some sort of parasite, right? Yes. And what I've come... Um, have you heard the story of uh, from the Bloody Tongue in South Africa? They had similar symbols. And they would do um, blood sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have heard of the bloody tongue, but only in passing. Oh, it was in a book uh, by Jackson Elias. Hmm. Elias, huh? Some people consider Jackson Elias a rather questionable source. You know that, right? I have heard. However, either he knew something of what I'm talking about, or he, it's a coincidence. Mm. My concern with that paper, having seen it, is there may be more to this than simple coincidence. I remember reading, he wrote something, I think it must have been a decade ago or so, The Way of Terror. It was a, a book about about fear through occult organizations. I remember reading something like that. And then I read his previous book. The reason why I even entertained The Way of Terror, I, I read Masters of the Black Arts, which he'd published the previous year. Uh, I have that one. It's good. It's not all true. Is I don't think. And I think that's what I liked about his books the most, was 
I felt like I feel like Elias is a is a skeptic. And I like that. I think far too often people grasp at things to believe simply because they don't know what to do. I feel the very same way about religion, to be honest. I I know that many of the people around the university here would probably crucify me for saying something inside such a building, but I do not see the logic in any of it. It seems like a, a quaint bedtime story to tell yourself before you fall asleep, that there's this <laughs> omnipotent being watching over everything you do, as if it's supposed to make you feel better. And the cults that Elias talked about, they use the same sort of projection that the head of this cult is the one that has the true access to whatever power it is. Have you considered... Have you considered trying to contact Jackson Elias? I have considered it. Hmm. I just don't know how or when... Or where? Last from what I understand, he's all over. Well, I do know that Prospero Press is the publisher of all of his books. So... I'm in New York, right? I would believe so. I mean, most of the publishing houses are in New York these days anyway. It's possible you might be able to reach out to them in Telegram, perhaps, to see if you can get him to contact you. Yeah, that has been brought up before, and I think that's the way I'm going to have to go, because finding his books are near impossible as well. Hmm. Well, there's only so much of a market for skeptical books on the occult. Most people are looking for the, uh, they're looking for the anointed truth. They want to open some book and read about the secrets of magical spell works to improve their life. I mean, there's all sorts of people out nowadays spouting about how they're the next god. Yeah. I don't, but I don't know if Jackson has even come across, Mr. Elias has even come across any of this language before. Hmm. Doesn't look like anything that's come up in his books, but who knows? It's hard to say. Hard to say. Perhaps perhaps he has. Perhaps he would be the one to communicate with. I was just wondering if you had seen anything. Anything more? Well, like, like that language before. I may have. But you'd have to understand that I don't know that I would want to send you down that path. Just because I might not believe in God Almighty doesn't mean that there aren't people out there who do. And just because I may see him in many of the people I work with as a man with a big old white beard... Other folks view God very differently. Well, 
I'm sure it's like that with many different religions. Indeed it is. That tongue is something far more sinister. That's what I'm starting to put together. I think that if your father were here, he would have probably stopped me from talking by now. I don't know he would want you to know what that says. Why is that? It's an older tongue. It's a chant. One I would not speak aloud. Like one that somebody at an altar would chant over a hole in the ground? His eyes narrow. You are incredibly good at guessing things. Or you are far more informed than you seem to let on. I've come across a few things. I've seen a few things. Hmm. Well, he reaches for his right hand down and he pulls out a length of fabric and kind of whips it around his neck and does a very quick Windsor knot into a tie. He tucks it into his vest. And all of a sudden he seems, he gets this air of professionalism. He takes off his hat and you see his of salt and pepper hair which he kind of presses into a reasonable shape I have a train to catch in the morning going east but can give you some enlightenment if you'd like he steps up kind of weaves his way through the book pile again and you see the cat kind of bound down a few books mm-hmm. to follow him. Come with me, Miss O'Shea. I'll help you. My soul's already damned. Why shouldn't yours be? How do you know mine isn't already there? How far? <laughs> um, you go into a small antechamber. There's a small room that's directly off of his office. He has to fidget with a key to open the door. And When you open this space, he kind of puts his hand up as if to stop you before you enter directly. And he lights an oil lamp that's in the room, so you can see. And this is a stranger, smaller version of his office. So while there aren't two desks in here, there's a very small desk with a single chair. There's no pipe. There's nothing like that. Um, There's a rug on the floor. Uh, it has a very strange pattern on it. It looks like what's been woven in. It's uh, There's a single strike line through it, and there are several what look like strike lines running off of it. It almost looks like a, like a tree branch. Okay. If you cut it off a tree. And then to the east and to the west, on both walls... There are small bookshelves. So nothing like the the absolute carnival of books that his main office is. But there are some select books in here. And he goes over to one that's relatively thick and pulls it out and puts it on his desk and then kind of waves you over. This is a rather dubious tome 
of some very early explorers in the 1800s here in America. Okay. He cracks it open. It details some very unseemly things that have befallen travelers in early America. He flips the book around to you on this desk. There's a man here who said that a creature near a riverbank appeared one evening. It's a, this story is based off of a farmer's report. That this creature, snake-like creature, came out of the mud and wrapped its mouth around his leg, biting him. The man here, it says in this story, this farmer said that the man suffered for days at his farm from some sort of infectious wound. And then days later, the man walked from the farm with no ailment at all, that he had been mystically healed by this snake creature and further professed that if the farmer continued to not harm a single snake he found on the property, that snakes would never attack his livestock, would never bite at the heels of any of his children or his children's children. He kind of pushes the story towards you. That was the same story I found, but it was a native story that I had found. So it was very similar. Whatever these stories are, I believe them linked. Now they're linked over hundreds of years and in different areas, which lends me to believe that either there are very similar creatures doing this, or there are very similar native intoxicants that propel these men to have very similar dreams, which I find a bit challenging as a theory. Where did that one take place? Uh, the farmer's tale here says that it took place somewhere in Ohio. Okay. I don't know if my other one said anywhere it came. Mm-mm. Oh, yeah. Texas or Omaha. Hmm. At least that's where the snake comes from. With a similar name that we have heard. Which name is that? Massasauga. When you say the name in here, the word vibrates on the walls. It's like this kind of small chamber library echoes the word back at you. And you can almost feel the resonance in your chest. As if the words has some sort of effect on you. Dr. Pierce looks around. It's a very powerful word. I would be careful with it. Yeah, I try uh, not to hear it or say it, considering the people that have said it have not been too friendly. Hmm. So, you have met people who have professed this word, and they have been subjects of ill intent? Yes. Would you say even 
fanatics? Yes. So you are affirming that there is a... They have some sort of cultish following? Yes. Let's see. Yes, I would assume Mr. Elias would be very interested in hearing from you. Given that this seems to be his direct line of study. Now, the paper again, if you would. This word here. This first line, what it is talking about here, gold and brown. There, the word itself printed out. It's speaking of some sort of massive reptile, some sort of something revered as a god. But this word, Gofin, he says it in a really kind of strange guttural tone. This Gofin appears several times. That word I have translated only twice before. And it means children or brood. Okay. So, like, the fanatics are his children, perhaps? That is one possible perspective you could draw on it, Ms. O'Shea. But I do know with some accuracy that that word means children. Okay. Well, thank you for your help. And, uh, yeah, I guess I will uh, try and get a hold of Mr. Elias. Hmm. Probably uh, an excellent, excellent idea, especially given the, his more specific knowledge of cults. I do have some knowledge of them, although I must admit his far outweigh mine. Well, thank you, and hopefully I didn't disrupt too much of your time. No, 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 not at all. I just, I just hope. I hope you are careful. I'll try to be. In my experience, people who traffic in this sort of belief system tend to be the sort of people who do not stop. They are fanatics for that reason. Seems like there's some pretty outrageous stuff happening, so... Hmm, yes. I read in the paper over the weekend there was some sort of shooting at one of the jazz clubs downtown. I was working that night. Hmm, really? Mm-hmm. I think it's all connected, but we'll see. Hmm. Well, do keep me informed. If there is anything else I can do for you, yeah. You have access to books I don't, so... <laughs> <sighs> this small collection here isn't much, really. Just the rantings and ravings of a few old men. Sometimes they have insights that others do not. This is true. This is very true. He locks up the antechamber. 
And then uh, properly escorts you to the front door where Rupert is waiting very patiently by the door to make sure that you get out okay. The cat kind of tracks where you move. It's very interested. I'll reach down and scratch him. <laughs> he seems to enjoy it. He gives you a healthy meow. And then I will uh, be on my way. And then uh, get a hold of Jimmy and then uh, go send a telegram. Okay. You go to a telegram office. Uh, they're more than willing to uh, assist you with putting together a telegram. Uh, they ask you who it's for. Um, Mr. Jackson Elias. But it needs to be sent to, I forget what the publisher. Prospero House. Yeah, Prospero House. Okay, and what would you like it to say? That my name is Maeve O'Shea, and I have some information about some things that you have studied in the past that you've written books on, if we could meet and discuss the topic or call. I'll give him my phone number. The the lady at the telegraph station kind of gives you a a smile. She gets the typewriter out and she says, Attention, Mr. Jackson, stop. Have information on something you're studying, stop. Mm-hmm. Please contact me. She lists the number. She reads the number back to you. Mm-hmm. Stop. Will that work? Yes. Okay. She takes the payment for it, and then she kind of tells you that she'll send it through. You, uh, I don't know if this is your first time sending an official telegram. Yes. But unfortunately, they're not novels. We get very few words to be able to transmit properly. That figures. Well, if you had their phone number, you could just ring them directly. I do. Well, I could them, but it will, I don't know if it'll get to Mr. Jackson or Mr. Elias. So we will see. Okay. The telegram gets sent. Uh, afterwards, Jimmy drops you off back at your house. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, uh, yeah. I guess that's it. Or I can draft up a letter, but I think it'll take a long time to get to them. Letters at this pace would probably take several days to get across to New York. Right. At least I would imagine. Uh, I haven't done any thinking about the timetable on that, but I would imagine it'd be, it wouldn't nearly be two days like it is now. Right. I'm sure it's, it's quite a bit longer than that to, to get from uh, Chicago to mm-hmm. a New York on a letter. You get back to your, your domicile and kind of go back to, you're immediately brought back to the desk. When you left, what state did you leave things here in the house? Probably everything out, like the piles of books yeah. open on the pages. I mean, that's usually how I leave things so I know where I was studying so I can <laughs> sit down <laughs> and resume. And resume. You come back, and you see 
that the books that were stacked that you were directly using, that you've laid out, that you have pages on, one of them has, maybe it was the wind, one of them has moved a few pages. It's moved from its position. And what it shows right then on the page, on the right-facing page, is what appears to be some sort of Aztec relief painting. It's a book on cults. And one of the cults that it covers and that it talks about is a cult within uh, Southern American culture, South American culture. And that cult and its uh, rites, its sacrifices, what it was sacrificing to. And you see very prominently in this artist's relief drawing, there are several snakes of varying sizes, but there is one that sits above all the rest. And it's obviously, given your occult knowledge, I'll give you a roll. Okay. 18. So that mm-hmm. is my, well, well, it's hard. Because half is 37. Yeah, so that's got to be close to your extreme success, then. Yeah, close. My extreme is 15. Yeah, you have to spend three points of luck for that. Um, no, I think I'm good. Okay. Well, the serpent that's there, that's prominent on the page, is definitely Quetzalcoatl. Right. A very well-known, at least for in your circles... A well-known serpent god. But that's not really what tips your interest about this relief of Kexicoba. It's the scales. The brown and gold? They sure are. Okay. So it could potentially be the same. Is there anything else in this that shows? Because usually he's depicted in bright colors uh-huh yeah this is this is very much a uh, this is very much a different sort of relief painting of him this is him not as prominent in the picture this is him almost as not an afterthought but a being in the background okay but yet as an overarching presence in this this painting that was done and this what's been placed in the book isn't the painting obviously itself it's a sketch of it but if the artist is to be believed then this is him more as a the the quiet serpent and you can see even from the the feathers that he's adorned with there as they kind of rain down on the background of this relief, they seem to seep into the ground. And when they seep into the ground, they become almost, they kind of transform into smaller versions of the larger creature they came from. But they come, and then they come almost in a circular pattern. They, they collect at the bottom and then fissure back up and they come through these tiny little holes in the ground. Hmm. Well, I'm definitely going to bookmark that page. 
<laughs> it oh. does seem relevant to your, your interests. Yeah. Okay. Anything else like that I found? Just that one, huh? Moved a little bit or something? It did. That's the only one you see that has moved. All right. Given the stuff of the chant that's been worked out with you, you could potentially, if you'd like to research the ch- the chant more, you might be able to uncover other words if you were interested. Well, another one is children. Yeah, I'll try and see what I what else I can figure out. Okay, you gonna try to figure out some more stuff? I mean, the the Mayvoche that I picture is a bit obsessive when it comes to this sort of thing. Yeah, she is. She's very. She doesn't stop. Because that's part of like what why she still looks for her father too. Right. So would what do you want me to roll a cult or language? But I don't have I mean I have one other language, but I don't have What's the other language you have? Latin. It's not really Latin based, unfortunately. Mm Mm-mm. So I'm gonna say it's probably a hard roll. Occult or language? Um, it's going to be occult. Okay. Kind of a hard occult roll to reveal some more of what okay. the chance may offer you. That's 75. Okay. I got to get 37 or better. Uh, that would be 20. Okay. You dive in. So my question to you is, as we kind of get this portion started, is how much time do you think Miss O'Shea would dedicate to it? Is she ravenous for this information, or um, is she going to take a look at it a few minutes? If she doesn't get what she's looking for, she's going to pass. Well, considering the kind of person she is, she's probably going to go until like her body tells her she needs to eat and she falls asleep <laughs> at her desk until somebody comes and disturbs her. Sure. I mean that's the kind of thing she does like that's what she did with the first parchment, you know, is had the books strewn out about until somebody, mm-hmm. you know, gets a hold of her. You so. begin burning the midnight oil, so to speak. You settle down in the chair and really give it a good work over. And you come to a couple of pieces of enlightened thought as kind of spring breeze finally pokes its way through one of your one of your windows. You make out the word spawn. And so I'll clearly point it out here for you on the paper so you know which word it is. So the word is pronounced Tharanak. And so you get the idea, probably within the first hour or so, of using the word you know that is children to kind of push together a few other words and consulting a few other mystical texts, mostly the stuff that you have that might be on, might have been rescued from Spanish conquistadors at some point or some of the other Latin American texts you have. 
you get a pretty solid idea that what this chant is, is a praise to Masasauga. Right. It's it's almost like they're sending their adoration to him. They're asking of him something which they do not have. They want some sort of blessing from him. You get the idea that the first part talks about Masasauga's wise crown. He is some snake of old. And you finally begin to get the the, the pace of this chant. And the words stop seeming senseless to you. And you start humming along. Because it almost feels like a hymn. Nice. If you would, the paper once more. I'm going to give you some clarity. Not cost you Sorry. sanity, but that's Whoa. okay. Of course it's going to cost me my sanity. Does. Anything interesting, anyways. You get the first third of this translated. And you can see why your brain did as best as it could to keep you from understanding what it meant. Oh, most powerful serpent of gold and brown. It almost feels like a church hymn at first. And then it gets very dark. Very quickly. When your pen suddenly is devoid of an inkwell to go back to after all of these writings and and attempts to decipher them. When you finally get that first clear and concise verse, you shudder a little bit because there's something you've unlocked that you're not sure you were supposed to. Okay. Go ahead and take a point of Cthulhu Mythos. Oh, sweet. But at what cost? But at what cost, yes. No. There it is. There's no tick box, of course, for that skill. No. And in many ways, it might be a skill that you don't want. So do I just get 1% then? You get one percentage point in Cthulhu Mythos, yep. All right. The first one handed out. But at what cost? First one's free. It's not. It's not. (laughs) Well, then, yeah, if I feel like I'm... Because, I mean, as as obsessive as I am, if I feel like I'm going down a hole, I probably shouldn't. I could pull up a little bit. It's not that you feel like you're going down a hole. You shouldn't. It's that... Your brain and its kind of manic pacing at this point finally slows and you realize several hours have passed without you noticing that the cool spring breeze that was coming in in the late afternoon 
has a nip of chill to it now because it's suddenly hours later. And you can't remember where those hours went. Mm. You're fairly certain you were here at the desk working. I mean, the, the papers around you are evidence enough that you've been working, right? And it's that thought, that, that piece in your brain that makes it so concerning. That you're not really certain. Right, I don't remember every point of what I was doing. Right, and all of a sudden, you're hungry. And suddenly you're terribly thirsty. And all of the you know, bodily sensations begin to come back to you that you haven't moved in you don't know how long. And you think you might be a part of something you didn't expect at first. And the toughest part for your brain to kind of wrap its head around as we draw the curtain closed this evening is there is so much more yet to decipher. And you want to know more. 